Well, here we are, back again. It's another week, international break. How you doing, Dan? Yeah, good. Um, I mean, disappointed in England, but uh, glad to be back to talk about the football. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's not been a good week with the uh, competitive internationals for England, is it? No, it's uh, been very disappointing, uh, both in the results and I think the performances, but uh, we'll get all into that in a minute. Yeah. I mean, even tougher being an English Liverpool fan. <laughs> but that's all, all of that to come and more Prem predictions in this episode 12 of the Armchair Managers podcast. As always, I'm Ross Evans and my co-host Dan Newton. Yep. And let's get straight into it. Right, so as we said, England have played two games so far in the international break. Um, first one was a 3-0 friendly win over Ireland. Uh, what did you make of the performance, Dan? Yeah, um, it's a decent performance, but I think that's what you should expect from England. You know, um, no disrespect to Ireland, but they're not exactly on the same level in terms of the players they can select. So I think, you know, that England did what was uh, expected from them. Got the 3-0 yeah. win and uh, some good performances. I felt Grealish played very well, which we'll get more onto later on because he was kind of the only high point of this international window. I think we'd all agree. Yeah, I mean, if you've been following on our Twitter, you see I've been quite vocal in my praise for Grealish he has really been England's best player the last two games um, but you know we've got to say for the friendly game as you say you'd expect England to be the better side because Ireland did not look anywhere near the sort of troubling team they can be or have been in the past under um, under this new manager he's meant to be playing quite progressive football with Ireland but I don't think they registered a single shot on target until about the 65th minute. Yeah, it was a bit of a struggle for them. I don't think they really had much going on up front. I know they had Adam Eder, I think, slide, who's kind of a, yeah. a young player for Norwich. Who uh, I, I actually quite rate. I think he, when I've seen him play, he's done well. But he had very little to go off, I think, and didn't really hold the ball up that well. And that kind of prevented them from sustaining any kind of attacks against England. Yeah, and I don't think any of our keepers we played Nick Pope and um, Dean Henderson uh, neither of them were remotely troubled yeah I, I mean I don't really remember any of them making a save to be honest um, which is always a good sign I guess when you're supporting that team but uh, no definitely I think a bit worrisome for Ireland but at the end of the day they wouldn't have been expecting really to get much out of that game no, and as I say, it's a friendly. I think it's the first time that England have actually beaten Ireland in about 30 years, I believe. Yeah, which uh, I think it's more to do with them not really playing each other very often than a, yeah. um, any anything of note. It's one of those weird quirks of international football that you end up going so long without actually playing a team. Yeah, yeah, it's... Um... But overall, it was, a, it was a good performance from England. It wasn't the best. I don't think they ever really got out of second gear. Um, it didn't look like they needed to. Yeah, no, it was certainly um an easy game for England. Kind of the standard you expect from an international friendly, where it's quite boring, but you maybe score one or two nice goals, and that's about it. Yeah, um, Harry Maguire had a good game, didn't he? Uh, he did. Probably the first one he's had all season. Um, managed to get in the goals, which is always good. It's something that um you know the World Cup run a couple of years back was kind of built on these sort of centre-back scoring from set pieces and I think it's something he needs to do more often. You look at sort of the size of him and his aerial ability, he should get more goals from corners and it's good to see him now doing it for England again. Yeah, I mean, he 
potentially could have actually had more for against Ireland. There was a couple of set pieces where you thought maybe he should have scored. Um, he was definitely in a decent position. Um, yeah. And just unlucky. Yeah, I mean, arguably, he had three good chances, you know, from corners. He could have had a hat-trick, which would have really been a bit of a shock. But, um, no, like you said, it's good to see. It's good to see him getting those opportunities. And I think one kind of good thing about England under Gareth Southgate has always been their effectiveness at set pieces. And when you have people like Harry Maguire to head the ball in, you know, you're always going to want to maximise the potential from those areas. Yeah. Um, And then, but... We saw yesterday, um, Sunday evening, complete contrast. England weren't at their best again, but it certainly wasn't. Maybe two nil wasn't a fair reflection of the game. But you can't can't say that England deserved to win either. Yeah, I mean, I've looked at a lot of the stuff um, since the game, a lot of the sort of talk and discussions about it. And... I think I'm in maybe a slight minority in that I think England were really poor against Belgium. I think it looked like a really poor game, uh, which is shocking to say considering it's the team placed first against the team in fourth. But I thought the yeah. game lacked a lot of quality. Um, and I think part of the reason was that Belgium, you know, used all their quality in the first 25 minutes and then they were 2 0 up. And from there, yeah. they could just sit back and defend and not really worry about having to play well, because they, they pretty much won the game inside 25 minutes. Yeah, I mean, England, it, they created opportunities and got into good positions, but I thought the final ball was lacking, quite like, and not just off by a small bit, it was really off, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I can't really think of a time that Courtois was really troubled, made like one or two saves, but they're all ones you'd expect him to make and I think like I said it just lacked a lot of quality in that kind of final ball like you said and um yeah just worrying considering that you know England need to at least be scoring goals against the best teams even if you can't beat them you know you want to see your players perform well and I, I don't think we really worried Belgium at all yeah I mean we did show um are still danger from set pieces with Harry Lyon ha- with Harry Kane, sorry, yeah, <laughs> having a uh, goal-bound header cleared off the line by Romelu Lukaku, yeah, uh, which superb play from Lukaku to actually be aware of that danger because Courtois didn't have a chance with it. Yeah, again, that you know that's coming from you know a set piece, which obviously work on in training, like the, the actual patterns of play in terms of build up through the first and actually getting the ball in the box from open play was really poor. You know, I think of yeah. maybe one moment, I think when we were 1-0 down and we had a sort of a nice interchange to the edge of the box and it went out to Trippier, who whipped the cross in for Grealish, who had a, a shot blocked. By, um, yeah. I don't remember which defender it was, but that was the only real chance of good play from England that I can really remember. Yeah. Um, speaking of Grealish, again, he was the highlight of the English team, wasn't he, against Belgium? Yeah, yeah, he's very good. Um I think he's he's really shown why he is like a very important player to the England team. You know, at the start of the season, I think I, like a lot of other people, like, yeah, he's very good, but he needs to be performing, you know, regularly at the top level. And I think he's shown that this season. And his performances for England have really shown that he should be starting for that team, I think. Yeah, he's... Um, did you see his little flick over the top of the... I think it was uh, Mooney... 
Munir, the yeah, right was, wing yeah. back. That's an audacious little flick over his head, isn't it? That yeah. is. That kind of summed up the game for me. Match. Was you know, Relish was the only one actually willing to sort of take those risks and try those things. And I know football's about results, but to actually be entertaining, you know, and yeah, <laughs> kind of show off a little bit and enjoy himself. And you know, that was good to see. But um, I wish we saw that from more England players, not just Grealish. Yeah. How much of the blame do you think could be laid at maybe Southgate's feet and the system he's playing, considering how many incredible attacking options we have? And I know we've had a few out with uh, injuries, with um, illnesses. And yeah, I mean, we're, what, we're missing just, yeah. um, Rashford and Sterling, which um, obviously doesn't help because arguably, you know, they might start for that team. But yeah. I think you're right, though. I think the problem really came back to the system. You know, when you're going to play 3 4 3, those three forwards have got to be, you know, sort of tailor made for that system because they're not going to get the best support when you play two yeah. defensive midfielders in the four. So yeah. it's slightly worrying when you play Grealish and Mount there who don't exactly have a lot of pace and aren't really, yeah. you know, wingers. You know, Grealish will come inside. And to be honest, you know, Mount's a number eight. He should be in the centre midfield. I don't, I don't know why he's playing on the right wing. Yeah, and that's how we saw England line up against Ireland was Mount in the centre and Grealish on the left, and it works really well. They've played a lot of football together, they know each other quite well, so and they they linked up well with each other against Ireland. And I I don't see why he changed that for the Belgium game, the competitive game, the one that really sort of actually mattered. If you consider the Nations League as a sort of viable trophy, let's say. Um, yeah where the competitive game he took a very cautious approach yeah and um you know it's disappointing because you know if you have one player playing well in midfield then why do you push them out to the right wing you know odd to me yeah um like i said like i said Grealish was really good and he should be playing off the left especially when sterling and rashford are both out but yeah it's just, it just seems bizarre to me that he's starting mount in a competitive game on the right wing when jane sancho's on the bench I know Sancho's a bit out of form, maybe isn't properly fit, but I'd still rather have someone who's an actual winger play on the wing than someone who's kind of wasted out there. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree and say hopefully, well now there's no pressure on this game against Iceland, I think we might see, maybe ironically see, the freer, more expansive England team that we wanted to see against Belgium because they can take the risks. They're still going to be in the top group. Iceland are already relegated, so that yeah. we, we can't go down. I just... I can't expect any reason why we couldn't go and get a put in a good performance against Iceland and come away with a win on Wednesday night. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I just want to be entertained watching England. You know, I think yeah. since the World Cup, watching England's been an absolute drag, really. It's never yeah. exciting. It's never entertaining. It's just boring and you know disappointing every time you watch them. And I think that's really frustrating considering the quality they have in attacking areas. And yeah. I just, I think I I don't like the three four three system we play. I think even if you put the right midfielders in there, I still think I'd rather see us play a four three three or a four two three one. You know, personally, and I just hope that you know it gets. The attacking players on the pitch, and they can actually show what they can do. Yeah, I mean, during the World Cup, we did play a three-back system, but we played a three-five-two with one holding midfielder and then two two sort of attack attack-minded uh, centre mids either side of the pivot. 
yeah. as, as it is. And that system worked really well. Um, and I think could work well. Still, you know, we had Lingard and Ali playing there during the World Cup. And now you could have Foden and Mount. Or play Henderson in one of those roles, because it's a similar role to what he plays in Liverpool, and Foden or Mount with Declan Rice as the holding midfielder. I don't see why he's tweaked to a 3-4-3. I really... I just don't think that system suits the players that England have. Um, and it's, yeah, as we say, it's sort of bland football. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with everything you just said. You know, it just, like I say, it just doesn't suit that squad. And it seems bizarre to just kind of force these players into this system. Yeah. And, you know, it just, like I said, it's just disappointing to watch. You know, um, you see the potential in that team and they're just not playing up to it. And I think it's a tactical issue. And I think, you know, certainly some of the players haven't been performing. I think that that's fair to say as well. But I think overall the whole thing needs to be sort of readjusted and changed because at the rate England are going, I, I don't see them doing anything at the Euros. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, but speaking of readjustment and change, we need to move on now to our next section, which is talk about the fixture congestion that is plaguing um, football in general. This ridiculous workload yeah. that's being placed on professional footballers at the moment, which we've seen uh, has led to multiple injuries, um, as Liverpool fans will be all too aware of. We'll get onto that in a minute. Um, what's going on? Um, play, playing too many games. Playing too many games that are unnecessary as well. You know, I think, I think you know, looking at the internationals, if they'd just gone we're going to suspend the Nations League because we're playing too many games and we're not going to have international friendlies. I don't think anyone would have complained. But we're at the point where, you know, these Premier League players are having to play, you know, twice a week at home and then go away to international camps and play, you know, three games within a week and a half as well. And yeah. it's just, you know, it's ridiculous. You know, you can't expect players to stay fit and perform to the highest levels when they're having to play so often. And I think it's you know, just endangering the players. They're going to get a lot more injuries, which we've seen. Yep. And I, again, I, I just don't think we need to see these games, to be honest. It, it's an no. unnecessary risk. Yeah. And we've also seen um, as well, particularly with the internationals, with Mohamed Salah uh, testing positive for COVID-19, that playing international games on a global pandemic is happening. I, I, is this, are they not aware? Are they that uh, separated from reality that they can't work out that getting players to travel between countries is a terrible idea? Yeah, because no, that, that's the other thing. You know, even if you're not playing in the games, there's still a risk that you're going to get COVID and then you're going to be out for what? Is it two weeks you have to self-isolate for? Uh, I believe it's ten, 10 days to two weeks. Yeah, which, you know, talking about how many games they're playing in a short space of time, you could miss three games in the, in that sort of yeah. period. You know, if, if the fixture list lines up that, you know, Liverpool have to play, you know, they just played Man City, they've got to play, I think, Leicester, which is another top four team. And I don't know who they've got after that, but if they had, like, Tottenham or someone, then, and you miss Mo Salah for, like, two of those three games, that's a huge miss. That could potentially cost them the title. You know, yeah. I think it's it's just a a really silly way of doing things that... I think, you know, it's, it's a unique year. Let's just change things for the better and, you know, yeah. maybe suspend internationals, I think, for a year. I don't think anyone would really complain that much. 
Yeah, and because of the fixture congestion, the conversation around uh, five substitutes has come up again. Obviously, mainly championed by Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp. Um, not that Jurgen's got the squad depth left anymore to make five substitutions, but <laughs> um, what we've got. So look, do you think it's viable to bring that back? Because there are some managers and some players who've spoke out against the five substitution rule and quite rightly have said, actually, these managers in games, they're not making all three subs anyway. Yeah, um, that, that's been the big thing. Like The whole criticism of it was that if you have five subs, then your Liverpool's, your Man City's are just going to change like their whole you know attacking lineup if they're not winning, you know. And can pretty much change half your team, which uh, isn't really fair considering, you know, the the players that would be coming off the bench for them would be starting for nearly any other team in the league. And I, th- I always, you know, I felt from a competitive point of view, um, I think three subs is the right place to be. But like I said earlier, you know, it's a unique season. And I think based on the amount of injuries that are cropping up, maybe we should go back to five subs. Yeah, I mean, certainly you've got to think from a player safety point of view. The reason these managers aren't using all three subs surely must be some reason, something along the lines of, I've got another game in three days, I need him to be fit, because the player I've got in his position on the pitch won't be fit, or won't yeah. be able to play a full game. Surely there's some thoughts along those lines. So with five substitutes, even every manager will have the opportunity to rest key players and maybe actually get more out of them. Because let's let's say you're a team like Burnley who haven't got the thickest squad and the players they do have, you can argue, maybe aren't of the quality of, let's say, the Liverpool bench or a Manchester United bench or a Tottenham bench. Is that then... While that is unfair that perhaps they have to bring on a player who isn't of the same quality, by resting their starting eleven, maybe let's say Ashley Barnes for example, you might get more out of him uh, for the whole season rather than him potentially getting injured for two to three months and getting absolutely nothing from him. Yeah, no, Surely that's I, got I, to I be agree. a benefit. Surely that's of a benefit even to them. Yeah, no, I, I think keeping your players fit and keeping them available and able to play sort of full 90 minutes in the bigger games is more important than potentially the you know the competitive edge that some teams might get. At the end of the day, you've got yeah. to put player safety first, I think, um, yeah. especially in, in these kind of circumstances. And, you know, I personally, I, I'd back it um, going back to five or, I mean, if they want to find a middle ground, have four substitutes, you know, I think definitely yeah. needs to change it in some, in some way um, to get, you know, the players fitter and um, protect them a bit more. Yeah, and would you include, as well as part of that, extending how many substitutes they can bring to a game? Because obviously using five of seven, um, you know, there's maybe some rumblings that as it's a squad game, for, you know, it's, why not bring more of the squad? Because yeah. you have 25 registered players in a Premier League squad, yet you can only use currently 14 of them. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I think definitely there's space to expand the amount of places on the bench. Um, especially, you know, you think, I think at that 25, you can have players that are under 21 at the point of registration that are still available to be selected. So potentially yeah. players from the youth academy can uh, increase those numbers. Um, but no, definitely, I think 
expanding it a little bit maybe not to encompass you know the full 25 squad because uh, at that point it could get ridiculous with the amount of players you could change um, yeah but certainly maybe up to like i don't know what it is now but maybe up to like 10 or 11 maybe um i don't know but yeah. I, I do agree that i think give them more options to bring players on probably be a you know a benefit especially when you know a lot of these substitutions are coming about because of injury you know i think you go back to the liverpool man city game where trent got injured they had to bring james milner on at right back um yeah. they had a bigger bench than maybe someone like nico williams could have come on and got a yeah. a bit more game time i don't know but um i think that would be preferable um to both developing kind of young players but also in the game itself because you don't really want to put james milner at right back against sterling you know <laughs> no no it's as everyone pointed out, it's only going to be a matter of time until his lack of pace gets found out. Yeah, in, definitely. in a fullback position, the modern-day fullback needs to be quick. Um, even Alexander Arnold gets caught out for pace at times. He's not the quickest. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. In so, and he's quicker than Milner, and he still gets caught out. Um, you know, we saw against Villa, he got hammered down that right-hand side. Yeah, yeah, he got he got completely exposed against Villa. Um, yeah. But no, as much as I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Trent, I, I think, yeah, like you are, you know, I, I agree that he is hampered by a lack of pace in his position, you know. Because it's not that he's slow, it's yeah. just in that position nowadays, you have to yeah. be very quick. You know, you can't just be quick. You've got to be, you know, yeah. like Kyle Walker level of pace. Yeah. Um, speaking of Kyle Walker... What did you think of Roy Keane's comments about him? Um, it has come out today that Man City have actually made a complaint to um, to the broadcaster about Roy Keane's comments. Do you think they're founded, or do you think that City um, just needs to calm down a bit? I think this has missed me by. What, what, what's he said about him? Um, everyone was... Well, I believe he'd given away a penalty... Um, and Roy Keane said he's an idiot, he's a car crash, he's, people think he's in the form of his life and he's not. And something along those lines, he really sort of hammer yeah. Carl Walker's performance. Um, and City have made a complaint to the broadcaster about his comments. Um, um, again, do you th think it's a valid criticism of Carl Walker or do you think maybe Keane's pushed the boat out a little bit? Uh, personally, I think that's fine. If, if that's what he said, you know, or what's those effect, then I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know. That's just who Roy Keane is, and that's why we like watching him on Sky, because he's entertaining and, you know, he'll say stuff that maybe other pundits wouldn't say. I think it's yeah. a bit soft to Man City to complain about that. Like, it's, it's not like he's insulted him personally. He's, you know, criticised his footballing ability, you know. Mm. He's just done it in a, you know, entertaining language, shall we say. Um, yeah. For me, no, I think that's fine. I quite like it, you know. Like I said, that's why I personally like Roy Keane. So come yeah. out and say these things that are pretty funny to me. Um, and uh, I kind of agree. I think Kyle Walker is often, you know, an accident waiting to happen. And yeah, yeah I think Man City are just a bit soft, really. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he does make him say he's just got incredible recovery pace, and he's, you know, he doesn't need to rely on someone else to cover for him because before he can blink, he's back and defending. So, he, but I think once he starts to lose a yard or two of pace, then it might start to be his undoing. Yeah, and, and he, he, because he's so quick, he does have a tendency to kind of switch off sometimes because he kind of knows yeah. that he can he can cover um, if he does make a mistake. And um, I think that has, you know, 
he, he's got a few red cards over the years, and I think maybe that's potentially why, you know, he doesn't, you know, maybe have enough respect for his opponent sometimes because he thinks he's so quick that he can just cover whatever happens. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, Roy Keane's fine saying that. And I, you know, if they're complaining about that, then, you know, what what, what the manager's saying to him in the changing room, like, surely they're saying stuff that's much worse. I'm sure they are. Yeah. You know, that's what happens in dressing rooms. So, you he, know, yeah. It seems strange that they can complain about Roy Keane, you know, uh, having a go, at, having a go at him. But like, well, I'm sure Guardiola said much worse to him. Yeah, I'd, I'd expect so. So, speaking of the fixture congestion, as a Liverpool fan, I've got a bit to say about this because I am not happy. Yeah. Um, Liverpool now have got yet another injury in Jordan Henderson. We saw Andy Robertson go out injured as well. To add to our expansive injury list, um, I really, again, I've got to say, fixture congestion is ruining it, especially for Liverpool fans. Like it's effectively most of our league, our league-winning team is out. Um, I think if you picked our strongest starting eleven. The only players currently fit are Allison, Mane, and Wijnaldum. The only three. So Trent Alexander-Arnold is out injured with a muscle injury to his calf. Joe Gomez is out long term with his knee. Van Dijk, as we know, is out for the whole season. Robertson, we don't quite know how long he's going to be out for yet. Fabinho out injured. Henderson out injured. Salah with COVID. It's fucking ridiculous. I just... I don't understand how... I I can... To an extent, I can sympathise with Liverpool's style of play. It's very gung-ho. It's very high pressure. And we were, sooner or later, going to get some injuries from playing in that style of play. So it, it just has to happen. And that's an unfortunate fact. If you play at that level for a sustained period of time, then that will happen. But we proved last season that when the fixtures are properly managed and there's enough recovery time, it works and the injuries don't happen. And now look what's happened this season with fixture congestion. Players are dropping like flies. Even, you know, see with Chelsea, Chilwell's out injured. We saw how Chelsea looked without Chilwell. The team looked unbalanced. It's really, it's really going to ruin football if it keeps up this way, particularly this season. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, I think everyone would say that, you know, regardless if you're a Liverpool fan or not, you know, you want to see teams playing with their best players. You know, you want to have a competitive league. And I think it is a huge worry that Liverpool could potentially you know, not be able to mount a good title challenge because of how many injuries they've got. You know, I think everyone would say, you know, if Liverpool, you know, fail to win the title, a huge factor will be these injuries. And I know you mentioned, you know, Liverpool's style of play is potentially, you know, conducive to players getting injured. But I think you look at the injuries themselves and I think that's a bit unlucky for uh, Liverpool. I think, you know, you look at Van Dijk's, you know, that's just a freak accident. And you look at Joe Gomez is, you know, that was something that happened in training with England. So, you know, that's nothing Liverpool can do about that. You know, that's just a, a really that's, unfortunate thing. 
thing is with Gomez is that it happened with no one around him. It wasn't he wasn't on the ball, he didn't trip, he wasn't tackled, he just felt his knee go. Like almost like a wear and tear. Yeah. And that's um, kinda of why players should be, you know, resting in this period instead of doing any kind of training, you know? They should be allowed the recovery times like you mentioned, because that's what enables yeah. them to play in these ways. But when you're forced out to travel, you know, fly to, you know, wherever England are going, if they're, you know, in their training camps or wherever, go into that bubble of players and then having to train, you know, a couple of days a week to get ready to play competitive internationals, you know, you're going to risk that wear and tear more and more. Whereas, you know, yeah. if it wasn't on international duty, where would he be? Probably be sat at home, you know, resting. Yeah. Do some light recovery work. Um, it's, uh, I mean, as a Liverpool fan, uh, to an extent, we have so, you know, we've also got Thiago out injured. There's, there's so many players that we've got on our injury list at the moment. I can't actually remember all of them in one go. And you are right in saying that some of them, like the Thiago injury and the Van Dijk injury, arguably aren't to do with Liverpool's. Um, style of play that's two horrific tackles in the Merseyside derby um but you got to say we have got more injuries than any other side in the league yeah. at the moment and a lot of them are muscle injuries um and i think that and hamstring you know hamstring pulls and stuff like that and those are just signs of the over of overtraining i think you know of being overworked rather it's yeah, yeah. it's dang, it, i just feel like that trying to run every single competition in the English game, um, as well as European football and then internationals, it's just too much. It's just too much. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and, I mean, you think, you know, FA Cup has gone into the second round now, so in a couple of weeks they're going to start having to play in the FA Cup as well. That's going to have yeah. another round of fixtures onto them, which they don't need. Um, obviously, in our competition, they'll probably get a chance to rotate their teams a lot. But still, it's... Um, you know, like you said, it, it's too many games. And I think definitely as a one-off season, they could have done with maybe, you know, there's no League Cup for certain teams or, or you can opt out of it if you want to. You know, because I think yeah. they are being forced to play too many matches in such a short space of time that we're going to get more injuries, I think, going further into the season. You know, it wouldn't be surprised uh, to me if, you know, we saw, you know, Man City get a lot more injuries or Spurs or anyone. You know, yeah. I, I don't think this is just going to be something that affects Liverpool. Um, and no. if it is, it's, you know, incredibly unlucky. But, um, you know, I think it is just a, a disappointing from, you know, the players' perspective, but also as fans of just not being able to watch, you know, teams play to their potential. You know, yeah. if we get, you know, a couple more months into the season and everyone's playing with, you know, six or seven injured players, then, you know, what's the point? There's no kind of competitive integrity to that. Yeah, and I think we're going to see it next season as well because it's not like you know the domestic season will finish and then players get a nice long summer to relax and recover. The top players, the top European players, have all got to go off and play in the Euros. So yeah. I think we're going to see more injuries during the Euros and then the beginning of next season, looking ahead, I think we'll see, still see more injuries. Um, it's It's really going to affect football for the next year, year and a half. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about that kind of, you know, continental hangover from playing in tournaments. You know, you have it usually after the World Cup or after the Euros in general. You think, you know, they're going to have it next season as well. That's going to be, you know, two, two and a half, nearly three years where a lot of these players won't have had any kind of break, you know, and it's, 
definitely dangerous, you know, for them going forward. And there's going to be, like I said, more injuries next season, which um, is definitely worrying. And I think the FA or the Premier League or whoever needs to kind of look at the yeah, fixture lists and maybe figure out something of reducing the amount of games or at least the volume of games in such a short time. Yeah, I mean, hopefully there's going to be some intervention that will stop it because it really is affecting players' health and their safety. And I think with the global pandemic, there's enough of that already as it is. Yeah. So we've already had a couple of rants about England not looking great and Liverpool's injuries and the fixture congestions that's affecting all of the Premier League teams. Um, we've got another one. And this one, I think, is a bit more serious. Yeah. I mean, they're all serious, but got to talk about how the news and the media is representing young football players at the moment. And there's certain young black football players in particular who yeah. are being just... villainised for very little. And in comparison to white players, it's, it's, it's night and day the difference. Yeah, I mean, we spoke about this briefly in the week, just seeing the various news headlines come out, and it's it's so unsubtle, you know. It's clearly, yeah. you know, an agenda being pushed by, you know, the Daily Mail and the Sun and those kind of um, outlets. And it's it's nothing new, you know, we've seen it all before, but it's so disappointing that it's still going on. And, yeah. you know, the, the one I saw um, was the one about Rashford where, you know, he's, he's been doing so much good, you know, for children, you know, trying to get school meals and help, helping yeah. them out. And it's been fantastic and qu quite literally, like, I don't think anyone in the world could criticise that from a genuine position. You know, it's it's objectively like a good thing for him to do. And, yeah. you know, you you look on the news sites and the f first um, headline was complaining that he just invested in a bunch of houses because he's, he's a millionaire yeah. footballer and he's, he's not allowed to invest. It's just ridiculous, uh, quite frankly. And yeah. I think... You know, I think you know you can only really vote with your feet, but I I can't believe that that's a majority opinion in in this country. Or well, <laughs> I mean, it must be if if that's what's still being peddled. But um... yeah, it, I mean, it's what we the issue we see with that is in the same scenario when a white player's done it, it's it almost canonizes him. It's it's oh look at all this charity work he's done because he's worked so hard he's bought a nice house and good on him well done to this white player you know the one pointed out doing rounds on social media was uh, David Beckham yeah I was about to say that not only compared to Rashford but to Sterling as well um and we'll and obviously Mason Greenwood's been in the news as well we'll get onto that story in just a minute but. Why are these papers peddling this these narratives of when a, what appears to be a white person does well, they can then spend their money and treat themselves because they've contributed to society. And yet when a black player does it, oh, you've contributed to society, well done. Oh, by the way, you shouldn't be buying that house because, you know, that's just, it's hypocritical. It's like, what are you doing? These yeah. are young players who are fantastic role, role models, and yet everything they do, you're criticising them for every little thing that anyone in that position would probably do anyway. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, you look at Rashford as, as an example, and 
I can't think of anything you can really criticize him for, you know, for, for how he is as a person and what he does off the pitch. You know, I think he's, yeah. like you said, he is in a lot of ways the perfect role model um, nowadays. And it's, it's clearly just this kind of racist agenda from the news outlets. Uh, cause that's what yeah. it is. You know, let's, let's not be around the bush. Plain and simple. It's just, he's black and they don't like him. And it's, it's not right that that's goes on. You know, that, that should never be the case. And yeah. it's just incredibly disappointing to see it's still happening. And yeah. I think, you know, I don't know what can really be done about it, but it's again, just very frustrating. Yeah. We are seeing more of these young players, the young black players um, speak out against it and actually calling them out um, yeah. as well as, as well as pundits like Rio Ferdinand, they're calling out um, calling out newspapers. And that's in the case of the Mason Greenwood issue that is going on. Um, one of these publications, which I'm sure you are aware of, I'm, I don't really want to name them, not because of any legal reason, I just don't like talking about them. Um, but they have said that, reported that Manchester United officials are scared that Mason Greenwood might throw away his career in the same way that Ravel Morrison did, which I'm shocked at how callous they're being considering the reports that he was close friends with a young Manchester City player who recently took his own life. So he's dealing with quite a substantial personal issue and they're brushing over it. They're naming these sources or claiming sources rather without providing any evidence that that's the actual source. It's fucking ridiculous that this is that this is still going on as well, that papers are gossiping and creating Chinese whispers just so they can peddle their own bullshit in the papers. Yeah, and the, you know, the problem is that there's no accountability. Like, they're just making up whatever they want to say and, you know, whatever is going on with Greenwood, you know, like you said, he's had a, a huge, you know, personal tragedy in his life. And it should be the time where, you know, collectively people go, all right, you know, he's a talented young footballer. He's having to deal with a lot of stuff off the pitch. You know, it's time to support him and not try and bring him down. You know, I, I would have thought that would be everyone's reaction, you know, from yeah. people at Manchester United to, you know, news outlets, you know. I think a bit of, you know, acting with a bit of compassion um, is what you would yeah. do in that situation. But clearly that's not the case. And it, it all comes back to this agenda they want to push against him or yeah. or whoever it is that they've decided they're going to target. And I think, you know, there needs to be some kind of accountability for it. You know, there's been loads of accusations against him. And, you know, I don't want to get into that because it, it's very, you know, murky what's been going on. And you can't trust yeah. what's being said in the newspapers. Um, and it's it's just disappointing and very frustrating. And, you know, I, I hope that he's doing all right and it doesn't affect him that much. And he can come back. But... Um, you know, again, I think there needs to be some form of accountability because it's it's unacceptable that they can keep doing this and keep getting away with it. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I mean, it, it, it frightens me as well that these papers off them as well. If you flip over to the front pages, they're trying to champion a mental health charity, or they're going on about how we need to be kinder and how you know they quote these um, statistics about depression and and other like mental health issues that have arisen during the pandemic as well and then when it comes to a case where actually their words could be affecting someone in that way and making a real negative impact on their life they don't care they just yeah. don't care 
No, I agree. And it's not just that, because it's not just like, you know, it's not Mason Greenwood seeing it in the in the paper. It, you know, it, it kind of normalizes that behavior. You know, I, I, yeah. don't, I don't know if he uses Twitter or whatever, but he goes on Twitter and then he sees a bunch of people echoing, you know, what what's in the Daily Mail, for example, then that's going to affect him even more. And, he, you know, he's not going to be, you know, in the right place to perform on the pitch. And I think it's just, like you said, it, there needs to be kind of accountability for it. And yeah, there's a lot of hypocrisy going on with how some people treat these issues. And yeah, no, it's uh, very disappointing. Yeah, and I mean, hopefully we see an end to it. I think we need to continue to call it out. I've never been the biggest fan of sort of call out culture or cancel culture, but in this instance with this uh, this epidemic of scum in the media, I think we need to do it. I think we need to call it out and make a point that that's no longer acceptable. It shouldn't have been acceptable in the first place. It's definitely not acceptable now, and it needs to stop. Right then, now the ranting is out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to look forward to the pre- return of the Premier League, as we've already sort of touched on earlier in the podcast. Uh, England do play Iceland on Wednesday, but there's nothing riding on the game, and it, it feels kind of pointless to try and predict that one. Yeah, um, yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. That's, a, that's a dead rubber fixture. Yeah. So, Dan, what fixtures are we looking forward to for the weekend? Well, uh, you know, as always, we kind of picked out a couple in the Premier League. You know, hopefully, um, what, you know, what we think should be the most exciting or at least the most kind of competitive games, I think. And there's some interesting ones. I think if we start with arguably, I think the biggest game of the weekend would probably be, be Tottenham against Man City on Saturday. Um, yeah. Obviously, two of the kind of... Um, I was going to say um, uh, best starters, but Man City haven't actually started that well, have they? Um, no, I think I think they're only just into the top half of the table. They might not even be up there, but they I think they're floating around sort of tenth to twelfth. Yeah, um, which is um, very surprising considering you know the quality in that team. But um, certainly Tottenham are one of the best starters of the season. And yeah, I've, I think everyone's kind of dark horse to maybe um, make a title challenge this year. Yeah, currently sat in second place on a five-game unbeaten run. Um, so are Man City, in fairness. Man City currently in 10th, but they've drawn three and won two of their last five compared to Tottenham, who've drawn one and won four. Yeah, and I think so... if you actually look at Tottenham's results this season, I think they're kind of unlucky to only be in seconds, you know. You know, they started off poorly against Everton, but definitely should have won against Newcastle. And I think you, you know, add that two points to them, and they could be in a really yeah. good position. And um, West Ham, it's you know, yeah. West Ham coming from three 0 down. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's arguably you know four points that they should have had. And but would that put them top then if they had those four points? Um, yes, they would be three points ahead of Leicester on twenty one points if they had come away with wins from their, those games. Yeah, so you know, I think. You know, looking at so far, Spurs have got a real chance at, you know, going for the title or early at least getting top four. I think, but I think, yeah. you know, it's the games against Man City and the, you know the traditional top six that will probably decide where they finish. Yeah, it's you know, it, as we say, it's a topsy turvy season, um, but you got to say that Mourinho does look like he's got his magic touch back. It's his first full season in charge. And we know what Mourinho is like. He 
he'll have a strong full season, I think. Um, I think we could happily see, I'm happy to say that Tottenham will probably be top four, the way yeah. they're playing. Yeah, I agree they with keep that. Their key, they can keep their key players fit. I think we will be looking at Tottenham in top four. And as you say, up there for the title. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked a lot about injuries as well. If Liverpool don't get their players back very quickly or, you know, if Man City get more injuries or Chelsea, then certainly, you know, I think Spurs could be right up there. Yeah, um, and as we said, Man City not on the best of form. So I think I'm going to I'm going to make a prediction. I'm going to go 2-1 to Tottenham, I think. Yeah, I think I think that's a, a good one. I, I'm also going to back Tottenham. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I like I said, I've been a fan of this Tottenham side under Mourinho for a while now, and I'm thinking I'm going to go with a a three-one to Spurs. Three-one. In- yeah. In- interesting. I might be wrong on that. I, I think we both agree. You know, I think Tottenham would look to win this game, and I kind of hope they can really put out a market to the rest of the teams. And yeah, I mean after how they beat Man United earlier in the season. You know, maybe it's something against the Manchester clubs. You, you never know. But um, you never know. Yeah, I reckon three um, one to yeah. Spurs. Yeah. Um, and what's the next game that caught your eye? Well, I've, I've gone for two of Sunday's games because I think they could be quite interesting. Some kind of tight games. I've gone for um, Leeds against Arsenal, which is the four thirty kickoff on Sunday. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think you know, obviously Leeds have started well. Um, Arsenal haven't started particularly well. So I no. think it should be a tight game, to be honest, um, considering um, Arsenal don't really score many goals, but they don't concede many either, whereas I Leeds think... score and concede a lot of goals. Arsenal are the third lowest scoring team of the teams outside of the relegation zone. So from 17th upwards, only Fulham and Wolves have scored less. They've only yeah. scored nine nine goals this season. Is all they've scored so far. Versus Leeds sat in fifteenth, who scored fourteen and conceded the same amount, four goals each. So I think we're for a tight, you know, a, a relatively free scoring Leeds team versus an Arsenal team that's struggling. Yeah, um, you know, I agree with that. You know, it's, it's a shame Arsenal don't have a creative number ten that could help set up some of these goals. But um, God, I let's. <laughs> You know, they're difficult to come by, aren't they, those sorts of players? Can you think of any world-class ones that would suit them? No, no, no they have to go pay, you know, 40, 50 million quid these days to get anyone decent. Um, yeah. And, and they definitely wouldn't leave someone out of their squad that could help them score goals. You know, that no, would be insane. Especially not when he's on uh, quite a large wage. Um, you, know, he's a ta- you know, you'd never leave a talented player with that price tag and a large wage out of your squad, would you? Yeah, definitely. That, that would be very silly. Um, but the, the game itself, I think, um, you know. Oh no! Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. They have. Oh yeah, Meza Özil. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. Isn't yeah. he like a World Cup winner and a Champions League winner? And Bundesliga <laughs> winner, La Liga winner. Yeah. Um. I'll I'll never get over the fact that they left him out of the squad. <laughs> it's. <laughs> It's a ridiculous decision. You know, we talk about a lot about off the pitch stuff this season, but uh, no, that that was just stupid. <laughs> yeah. Um, what have you made of Leeds so far? Yeah, entertaining. Um, you know, like I said, score a lot of goals, concede plenty as well. Um, but now I like watching them. Um, it's good to have them back in the prem. I think we've said that a lot so far, but uh, yeah, I think they're a good team, and I'd actually back them to beat Arsenal. You know. 
Yeah. I hope Arteta does end up doing a good job there because he seems like a nice guy, but I think his team are kind of misfiring right now. And yeah. I could see a 2-0 to Leeds, I think. 2-0 to Leeds. Okay. Um, I'm going to back Arsenal. I'm going to go for a 1-0 to Arsenal. I don't see it being any more than that. Yeah. Um, purely on the basis that Aubameyang, who has been a, you know, he's scored 20 goals. He's a 20-goal-a-season striker when he plays through the middle, being parked out on the left wing, and Lacazette not in great form being played through the middle, I think will really affect Arsenal. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, so, and as we say, Leeds are quite an entertaining team to watch. Uh, Marco Bielsa and his mad tactics. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I just I just think that Arsenal, I just I just don't back them to really do well. I, you know, it's as simple no. as that. I just, I think... As much as I really rate Aubameyang and I, I like a lot of Arsenal's players, I just I can see them, you know, just not performing against Leeds. Yeah, yeah. And looking on from that, what's the final game that you've picked out? Well, the final game is, you know, it's a team we've talked about a lot today, and it's um, Liverpool against Leicester City. Obviously, oh, the Liverpool know. reserves. <laughs> yeah, Liverpool's reserves going up against their old manager Brendan Rodgers. Um, which I think could be a you know a tricky game for Liverpool. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, think, I have to have to agree. You know, the way Leicester like to kind of play on the counter attack, you know, like they did against Man City to you know such great effect, I think could really hurt Liverpool. Mm. Um, I mean, I've got to say, as a Liverpool fan, due to the injuries, I've, I mean, I can't see any way we actually win this game. Um, I think that we've lost basically our whole starting eleven of key players, you know. Okay, maybe Firmino, you have Jota in there at the moment, but I, I, I'm going to make an early prediction and say I can see this being uh, probably 2-0 to Leicester. I'm not confident in this game at all. Yeah, um, yeah. I, mean, I, can, I can certainly see, you know, your reasoning. It makes perfect sense. Um, I think maybe because I'm not a Liverpool fan, I, I maybe have more confidence in them. Um <laughs> So I I think I reckon it will be you know a tough game, but I could see a yeah one one draw I think. I think it's yeah. two good teams, and I think you know if Liverpool were fully fit, I'd expect them to beat Leicester. But with how well Leicester are playing, and you know like you said, Liverpool's injuries, I think you know Liverpool will do well to get a draw. Yeah, I think that's the most we can hope for at the moment. Is you know it keep, would keep us in third providing that Southampton lose which I think is what we've got you know we've got hope for I think until we start getting a few more players back uh, from injury we just got hope to keep within touching distance of Leicester and Tottenham yeah I think I think that's you know you, you're right there I think Liverpool just want to stay as close to the top as they can and you know once they get people back fit see what they can do then yeah yeah um well, as you've done a brilliant job of picking out the key games of the Premier League, we do also have to point to a derby game that is on today. Um, Monday, the 16th of November, sees Argyle take on Portsmouth, and that is on it's a televised match. So, Dan, as a bonus, why don't you give us a little rundown of what we can expect from Argyle versus Portsmouth and a score prediction? <laughs> okay, um, 
you know, like I said, Plymouth Argyle against Portsmouth in the, uh, it's called the Dockyard Derby. I don't think it is actually much of a derby. Um, as much as I, you know, as an Argyle fan, I've enjoyed the games against Pompey. It's, you know, it's kind of hard to have a derby against someone. It's a three hours drive away from, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it should be a good, um, you know, a good league one game. Always good to see, you know, the football league on telly and, uh, it's an interesting one because Argyle, you know, haven't lost at home this season and Portsmouth have the best away record and it's obviously been played in Plymouth. So, yep. you know, it's a uh, two, you know, well uh, balanced teams going up against each other. And for me personally, I think at home, I'll always back us, you know, um, yep. when we can kind of dominate the ball and we can get our strikes into good areas. I think, we will score goals. It's just whether we can, you know, defend well is always um, my question of Argo. Um, but for me, um, you know, I'm going to say 2-1 to Argo. I might yep. be wrong on that. You know, Portsmouth are a really good side. But uh, yeah, I think 2-1. Um, we're missing our, you know, main striker, Luke Jepcott, who's on international GC with the Wales and the 21 side. But I think Pompey are missing a few players like that as well. But um, no, I reckon 2-1 to Argo. Should be a good yeah. game, and um, hopefully, you know, if people want to, they can uh, watch that on Sky tonight. Yeah, and we do implore you to go and, wa- go and watch, because uh, lower league football is still entertaining, and in some instances can be more entertaining than the Premier League. So it's a highly competitive league, and we do implore you that you get, get yourselves over and watch. If you haven't had enough of football already, <laughs> please do go watch that game. Well, here we are, Dan. End of another episode. Yep, um, lots of rants today. Um, I promise yes, lockdown's not getting to us. But, uh... <laughs> no, um, and on that note, we do hope you're doing well in the UK with the second lockdown or wherever you are with the virus. Hope you are looking after yourselves and doing what you need to do to keep yourselves happy. Um, it's not a brilliant time, as we all know, and I think that's a real understatement of the global situation. Um, so we really do hope that you are looking after yourselves and taking care of yourself and others. Um, but for now, hope, continue to look after yourselves and we'll see you in the next one.